Okay. So, that having been said, we're going to talk about um, why, why would we even do something like this to begin with? Right? I don't know if you've seen the, seen the price of groceries lately. I don't know if you've seen the price of turkeys lately. Um, but all, all prices are up, right? And purchasing um, 1,250 turkeys, pies, foil pans, asking, um, asking you to purchase the groceries, it's, it represents an extraordinary and significant use of resources, uh, financial resources. Uh, for you, personally, I understand, for us as a community of faith here, for Bemis and Busti as well, it does represent a significant, a significant um, use of resources. And sometimes, and I think with some, with um, some amount of like, I understand, there's this, uh, this question pops up. And the question is, is like, man, you know, pastor, this eats up a lot of resources, this, this takes a lot. This is taking a lot of our like human resource time, a lot of hours to arrange it, a lot of a lot of a lot of effort to get it done, a lot of a lot of money to pull this off. Shouldn't I mean? No offense, Pastor, but I, I don't know. Like, shouldn't we kind of be focusing as a church on doing like that more important work of preaching and proclaiming the gospel? Like, I don't know, just, just asking in kind of like a somewhat hypothetical, somewhat rhetorical way of asking that question. Um, and I understand the question, and I understand, uh, I understand the heart that it comes from, and I, I'm not, I don't begrudge anyone from asking it, and I think that um, it, it does require that we, we talk a little bit of, about it because... Um, because I believe that the that the that the heart of the gospel answers questions like this. Uh, what I hope to be able to show you this morning is that um, not only is this yes a significant uh, use of resources, but I believe, and I think that the uh, the example and the teaching of Jesus, as well as the example and practice of the earliest church in the book of Acts and beyond says that if, 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 if Jesus were walking the earth in 2022 with you and I physically right here in this location, that this is something that he would be involved in. That this is something that he would do. I know that's kind of maybe a simplistic way of saying it, but uh, my hope and prayer is that, you, is that we would be able to see this together um, and that we would be able to um, we would be able to unite together in faith and belief that we do this not for our own glory, not for our own, not for our own name, not for our own reputation, not for our own renown, but for the glorification of Jesus and nothing else ever. In fact, it was uh, the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter nine. He was writing to the Corinthian church, right? And he was, he was saying to them, actually, I think I have that scripture up for us. 
It's at the, should be at the very, very end of the slideshow, um, but we're going to start with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, where Paul is writing to this church, right, that he planted. And this church happens to be a church of significant financial resource, the church at Corinth, right? They were a port city. They were a strategic city in the area. And so they were, they were very, this church was, was full of um, what you would consider to be wealthy people, all right? And he was encouraging them to, to express their, their faith in Jesus or as an overflow to their faith in Jesus to provide, to help provide for the financial resources of churches in Macedonia, a separate geographical area that were struggling essentially to make ends meet or to be in ministry. And what Paul says, he essentially says, hey, let your, let your, uh, here in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, you, Corinth, Corinthian church, you uh, will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And listen, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you are performing is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men and women will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. What is Paul, what is Paul telling the Corinthian church here? He's telling them, he says, look, the expression of your faith through your generosity is not making a name for yourself, church of Corinth. It's, it's creating an environment where those who are receiving your generosity are ripe to give thanks to God above. They are receiving your generosity as a gift not from you, but they're receiving it as a gift from God. It's overflowing in thanks to God. Your generosity, verse 11, will result in thanksgiving to God. It's not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Not to you. The gifts that you are giving are resulting in an overflowing expression of thanks to God. Listen, if there is no other, if there is no other like tidbit of wisdom at the center or the heart of this thing that we're doing every Thanksgiving season... It's that we want the expression of our faith that comes through generosity to produce in others an awareness of God's provision for them so that they have a reason to say, thank you, Lord, for what you have done this day. Thank you for providing for these needs. Thank you for sending these people. I saw Jesus in the eyes, in the smile, in the action and in the gift of that person that I met at that school that day, and now I have a meal to share with my family on Thanksgiving. It's not about receiving a thanks for us. It's not about receiving like recognition in the community about what we have 
what we have united to do together, right? It's about, it's about positioning others before the throne of God so that they may see the generosity given, expressed to them through His church. That is the heart of why we do what we do. Not because it makes us feel good, right? Not because it's exciting or it's fun, and it is, okay? But because our desire is to point people to Jesus. Our desire is to point people to God in heaven. Our desire is to, is to show others, be an expression that God, that God sees them, God loves them, God desires to be a part of their life, God wants to provide for them, that the Spirit of the living God has not left the city of Jamestown, that it exists within the incarnated action of those who have faith in Jesus. So obviously this was a part of Paul's ministry, right? But it was not it was not a foreign concept to Jesus either. And I want to talk a little bit about this. Listen, Jesus exemplified the necessity and the dignity of feeding people without question, even in significant numbers with limited resources. If we look, for instance, at, um, in the Gospel of Matthew, right? Matthew chapter 25. I'm sorry, not Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 14. We're going to Matthew 25 later. Matthew chapter 14. Starting at verse 13. When Jesus had heard what had happened, He withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, the crowds followed Him on foot from the towns. Jesus always had this big mob and this big crowd of people that were scurrying to get to the next place that he was going to be so that they could be recipients of his teaching, so that they could see and receive miracles, right? When Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, what was his response? Oh my gosh, they're so needy. Leave us alone. Go get a job. Go find something to do. We got work to do here, all right? No. This is the exact opposite. When Jesus saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a really remote place and it's really getting late. Jesus, you need to send this crowd away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Listen, they need to take care of their, their self, themselves, okay? Would you tell them, Jesus, to go meet their own needs, fill their own stomach, buy their own food? Jesus replied to his disciples, they do not need to go away. I'm not sending them away. You feed them. You give them something to eat. 
but 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 uh, well, but we only have we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. They answered, "Bring them here to me. Bring the limited resources that we have. Bring them in a posture and an attitude of faith." Bring them with a willingness to meet the needs of even the large crowd that is before me and watch and see when even limited resources are placed in the hands of Jesus in a posture of faith, how the need is met in a significant way. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, plus women and children. There was no mention here of whether or not the people deserved it. There was no mention here of whether or not the people could afford their own food. There was no, there was no mention of here of Jesus or the disciples looking down on the opportunity to feed these people. There was a mention of a fear of being able to do it, but in the hands of Jesus, the limited resources that they had were multiplied for the blessing of the many. The only thing that's really mentioned here is that there was a crowd, they were in need, Jesus wanted his disciples to meet the need, and he said, go do it. Go do it. Jesus exemplified in these moments the necessity and the dignity of feeding people without question, even in significant numbers and with limited resources. Number two is that Jesus taught. Jesus taught. He didn't just exemplify it and do it in his, like with his example here in Matthew 14. But in other places in the Gospel, for instance, Matthew chapter 25, he taught that caring for people's most basic physical needs is what righteous people do and we will all be held accountable for our participation in it. He talks in Matthew chapter 25 about this really like not very seeker sensitive parable, the sheep and the goats, right? When the Son of Man, Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. All right? So Jesus is saying, hey, look, there will come a time, there will come a day where the Son of Man will sit on a heavenly throne and all of the, all, the whole church, right? The church triumphant, all of the saints of God, all those who have expressed faith in Jesus Christ will be before him, right? And he will separate, he will separate everyone as a shepherd separates the sheep on one side from the goats on another. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. 
The kingdom that has been prepared for you since the creation of the world. Who wants Jesus to say that to them? Not me, right? Come take your inheritance that has been prepared for you since the foundation of the world. Come get your inheritance, sons. Come get your inheritance, daughters. I've been preparing it for you. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. For I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous, they'll, they'll answer him, Lord, I mean... I don't think we did any of those things. I never saw you hungry and fed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink. I never saw you naked and gave you clothes or in prison and came to visit you. When did we see you sick or in prison? I I don't understand this. And the king replied, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, sorry people over here this morning, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Um, Anyone signing up for that? Not signing up for that one. Right? No thanks. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of these least of mine, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Uh, It would be it would would be so much more convenient if there was some like really insightful, in-depth translation that got around the obvious message of Jesus' teaching here. Is that is that is that the righteous right um, actively look to take care of? the basic physical needs of others, just as if it was Jesus who needed these things and they were eager to do so. Number three, the early church and the apostles in particular organized offices and jobs of the church around ensuring that people were fed. Meaning like when they were when they were thinking this whole thing up, they were like, you know, there's this issue that we're experiencing. Some people are going uh going without without the food that they need, the bread that they need. How do we make sure how how do we make sure that they're that this doesn't happen? It was it was obviously a deeply foundational and important thing for them because they began to organize um, members from among them to ensure that this task was not overlooked. In Acts chapter 6. Acts 
We see how this played out. Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, okay, the church was growing, praise be to Jesus, the Greek Jews, the Gentiles essentially, among the church complained against the um, Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there was a discrepancy a little bit of favoritism being shown to who gets food and who doesn't. So the twelve, the apostles, they gathered around and the disciples together and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give ourselves attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the proposal pleased the whole group. They appointed, uh, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. You know, of course, Stephen, who later in the book of Acts gets stoned for his proclamation of Jesus, right? They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith of Jesus. And so the early church, in its most infantile stages, saw that, hey, we can't let this happen. We can't let even, even um, we can't let Gentile widows, we can't let Hebrew widows, we can't let anyone go without um, with, like being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Here are people who um, genuinely need it. How? Can we organize ourselves as, um, as Jesus followers and as a group of people to ensure that this doesn't happen again? That this doesn't, this doesn't, um, doesn't become a pattern? And so they actually appoint um, specific men from within the community of faith and say, hey, look, your job is to look after this. Make sure people are getting fed. The early church and the apostles organized offices and jobs of the church around ensuring that people got fed. It wasn't for them. It wasn't for them some sort of like, oh, yeah, we got to endure this distraction one more time before we get back to the more important part of, can we just give these, um, give these widows some bread so they'll, so they'll, they'll shut up and quit bothering us about it. Because we got important spiritual stuff to do here. No, like, no, we're going to align our resources to ensure that this never happens again. Now, this isn't the only time that we see this kind of, like, this kind of push in the early church, right? In the earliest expression of the, like the whole community of faith of Jesus. We see it also in the book of James, right? James, we presume, is the, uh, is the James that is said to be the, the brother of Jesus. And James himself um, says in his epistle, we did a sermon series on this, I think sometime last year. Um, but uh, James himself says this around the idea of like the alignment of an internal faith 
and persuasion towards righteousness in Jesus and the external action of essentially being like, James is like, hey, put your money where your mouth is, all right? Put, it, put your money where your mouth is. Don't just talk about the, the Jesus-loving, righteous things. Like, do them. James chapter 2, starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. This is like the modern version of like, hey, hey man, hey brother, like, see you're really struggling, see you don't got no food, see you don't have many clothes, you might be living under a bridge, right? But God bless you. God, God bless. Okay? Have a good day. God bless. Gotta go. Peace out. But does nothing about his physical needs, really what good is it? I mean, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What is James saying here? He's saying that the physical, the physical act of providing for the needs of people is, is actually um, spiritually inseparable from the proclamation of God's blessing over that person. That just saying, hey, God bless you, be warm and well fed, right, is, is inseparable. You cannot tear the two apart from the, from the action of doing something in the midst of the physical need to provide for it. That you, you can't divorce the two. You can't separate the two. You can't pull them apart. The spiritual and the physical function together, or as James says, they're both dead. Our faith is, is meaningless or worthless or dead. And so, so listen, what is, what is the example of Jesus? What is the teaching of Jesus? What is the what is the, um, the organized life of the early church as well as the added proclamation of James, the brother of Jesus, tell us, show us about, about the, the act of and the expression of seeking to provide for the physical needs of those around us. What it tells us is that, is that meeting the physical needs of those around us is not a lesser spiritual thing to do. It is actually wrapped up in the very definition and lifestyle of what it means to be a Jesus follower. That if the if the heart if your heart's reflex is to say well the church should be involved in really in the in the preaching and proclaiming of the word of God and stay out of all of these kind of social justice type of things where we're feeding people and clothing people and looking after those who are sick, 
I think with the example of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus and the organization of the early church tells us is that proclamation alone is an incomplete expression of our faith. Not just for an individual, but for the whole church. And if we need any other foundational basis upon which to build this, we, we turn to the very ministry and life and the existence of Jesus Himself. Jesus walking Himself with us, right? Jesus in the flesh is evidence that mere proclamation was not a sufficient expression of God's heart to the people. Because, listen, could, could God have sat up on His heavenly throne, right? In the proverbial cloud with the megaphone of heaven and just said, hey, all of you down there, I really do love you. I really do want to know you. I really do want to be with you. You can, like, hey, we can be in relationship. Just wanted you to know. See you in heaven. Bye. The proclamation could have been there the entire time. It's not like he didn't have a voice, right? But, but it wasn't a sufficient enough expression of the depth of his heart's love and desire for his people. And so God, God saw it fit to come down from the place of heaven to, to, take, to take flesh upon himself, to humble himself and walk with us so that we may know the fullest, and, and, and the fullest magnitude of his heart's desire and love for us. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is all of the evidence that we need to see that the proclamation of God's love was not sufficient enough that it actually came out in the expression of God's love through the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus Himself, man, He was like always bagging on the religious people. Who, like the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who had the like letter of the law, like locked down, nailed, perfect, perfect in every way. I mean, those dudes, they were tithing their spices. How many of y'all had a garden this year? Okay, I expect 10% of your parsley in the offering bucket later. Right? And the Pharisees and Sadducees were like, hey, look, I'm the most... Could not be more righteous. I grew a garden tithing my parsley. Jesus is like, you, man, you, you missed it, right? You lost it. What the Pharisees lacked, Jesus fulfilled. He incarnated not just the law of God that the Pharisees had perfect, he incarnated the love of God. He made the love of God real. He made the love of God tangible. He made the love of God de demonstrated. And then Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, God proclaimed his love by sending his son to die, right? No. But God demonstrates his love. 
In the life, in the work, in the existence of Jesus Christ, God demonstrates His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That the love of God was shown not as a proclamation, but as a demonstration. Something that Jesus did. I don't know if I can say it any more clearly. If we follow, if listen, if we if we are going to stand up and proclaim that we follow the example of Jesus, that we follow the teaching of Jesus, that we follow the incarnation of Jesus and the life of the early church, that we are led to the conclusion that the gospel of Jesus Christ is both demonstration and proclamation. It's both. Oh man, we're, we are chewing up a lot of resources in this thing though. What do you think the resources are for? There, there, is, no, there is no other purpose than the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Well, we don't know what's going to happen in the economy. We better say we put ourselves... Listen, man, we don't have any worries at all. Zero, right? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? Everything that is and was and will be to come is His. He has provided it. He has created it. He has, he has given it to us as a function and overflow of His generosity and His love for us. I will spend every last penny that we have in the demonstration and the proclamation of the gospel and walk confidently that tomorrow is taken care of because Jesus said it was so. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen. If we say we are going to be a place, if we say we are going to be a people, if I say that I am going to be a person that proclaims and shares the gospel of Jesus Christ, I must be ready to both demonstrate it and proclaim it. Not one or the other, but both together in as many environments, in as many times, in as many relationships, in as many avenues and places as I possibly can. And look, we're talking about its application, of course, to what we hope to do on Thanksgiving. But that does, not, that does not mean that it's ripped out of the personal application of my life and yours as well. That there, is a, that there is a demonstration of the gospel that comes along with our proclamation of the gospel. And I think that myself included, look, listen, I want you to know, I am ruthlessly guilty and needing to repent of the times where I have told people, hey, God loves you. God bless you. Let me pray for you. But you go figure it out for yourself, man. Guilty. Okay? I'm also well aware, keenly aware, I bet more aware than many of you in this room of the significant need in our city significant well we can't meet all the needs 
We can't do everything. We can't, we can't feed every hungry person. We can't clothe every naked person. We can't sit with every, every widow. We can't, we can't do it all. Well, so that's an excuse to do nothing? Oh, since we can't do it all, I guess we're just going to sit on our butt and do nothing. Like, try that excuse on for size, sheep and goats. It will not go over well. And it is not an excuse to be, to be paralyzed in the face of the need. Because in the face of the need of 5,000 men, women, and children sitting before the disciples and sitting before Jesus, right? He said, just bring to me what you have. Just bring to me the loaves and the fish. It doesn't matter that you don't think that it meets every need. I got more things involved. Everything, even, even in its most minimal level, placed in the hands of Jesus as an expression of faith, comes out as an overwhelming expression of gratitude and generosity. And we will be overwhelmed with the reach that it has when we give it to Jesus. Well, 1,250 bags, that's only 1,250 families. Like, listen, it extends so far beyond that when we give it to Jesus. Like, he magnifies, he multiplies, he supercharges everything that we place in his hands. And he will do it this time as well. Every single year, and this is our sixth year, doing something like that. Every, every single year, people tell me, people that sit in these, will never reach that amount. And if we do, we'll never give away that much. And every single year at the 11th hour, it looks like, man, we're, yeah, I guess that person was right. We're not going to reach it. And every single year, we end up with more and more and more. And every single year, wow, no one's showing up. We got all this extra food. No, no one's showing up. And every single year, when we, when, we, when we walk as an expression, okay, no one's coming here. All right, pack it all up. We'll go somewhere else. We're going to go find the people, right, that don't even maybe know that they need an expression of God's love in their life today. And then I'll chase them down the road, right? I'll be running down 2nd Street with a turkey on my shoulder and a bag of groceries in my hand. I'm not letting anyone go, anyone escape the reality that, hey, we are here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. And if you're not going to listen to us proclaim it, that's fine. We'll demonstrate it because we know that even in the demonstration of the gospel, God is preparing your heart to, to receive the proclamation of the gospel. And that seed's going to be sown deep within your soul. And Jesus is going to know you and you're going to know him. And every year it happens. Every single year. So I will stand on this soapbox all the time. Forever and ever and amen until Jesus comes back. All right? Because my hope <laughs> is that Jesus comes back like kind of right in the middle of that event and is like, all right, where do I sign up? Remember, the demonstration of our faith produces thanksgiving to God. The demonstration of our faith produces thanksgiving to God. You ever prayed for someone in your life 
that you just wish would see God's movement in their life? That you would just, man, I just wish that they would see the way that God is moving, the way that God is like, like speaking into their life, the way that he's like active all around them. I just wish that they would see, right? I wish that they would experience it. I wish that they could see it, right? That's essentially what Paul says here to the Corinthian church. He's like, look, the demonstration of your faith in the midst of your generosity is going to produce in that person an awareness of giving thanks, not to you, but to God. What I hope happens on November 19th is that there comes up to heaven a tremendous song of thanksgiving from people who maybe previously have not even acknowledged the existence of God, but who have in that moment reached out in saying, thank you, Lord, for showing up on my behalf, on my family's behalf. Thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. Thank you, Lord, for letting me see your son, your daughter, incarnate the life of Jesus in my life. I see you. I recognize you. I thank you, Lord. A whole chorus of thanksgiving and worship from the city of Jamestown to the throne room of heaven on that day. That's what I'll be praying for that morning. Lord, let your courts be full of the praise of people who have met your son Jesus today. Don't let anything be an excuse. Don't let anything be an excuse for demonstrating a heart of Jesus. It is not lost on me. It should not be lost on you. you know, we, <laughs> we talk about, we talk about from the Scripture, use Scriptures like Matthew 14 and Matthew 25 and James chapter 2 and Acts chapter 6 and all of these, all of these references to the, the, uh, the use of food to meet physical needs and its expression and demonstration of the Gospel. And then here we come to the table of the Lord with elements that Jesus instituted and gave to his disciples as, as a way for us to recall the significant sacrifice of himself on the cross for us. The gospel sits before us, right? It is demonstrated here in the, in the elements. It is both demonstrated and proclaimed. On that night, Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room and he gave thanks to his heavenly Father for the bread. And then he broke the bread 
And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat from this bread, all of you. This is my body, which has been given, been broken and given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, likewise, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks to his heavenly Father for the cup. And then he gave the cup to his disciples and he said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood, which has been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so what Jesus proclaimed in that moment was still somewhat a mystery to his disciples. What in the world is he talking about? Do you know what he means? No, I don't either. Don't know what he means. I don't get it. But just do it, all right? I don't want to get in trouble. Even in that moment, the proclamation of his body being broken and his blood being shed remains somewhat a mystery to the disciples. Until what? Until the proclamation was married with the demonstration of His actual broken body on the cross and the shedding of His blood. And all in one moment, it's like both demonstration and proclamation came crashing together that Jesus is offering Himself for us and to us. And the gift is given to us by faith. We receive it by faith. Maybe not understanding fully the demonstration. Maybe not understanding fully the proclamation. But believing that the offer to us of Jesus Christ, the offer of His body, the offer of His blood, is something that we are eager to receive by faith. Lord, let us receive the gift Let us receive the gift of your broken body. Let us receive the gift of your shed blood. For we are indeed sinners in need of the Gospel. In need not just of this proclamation, but its demonstration in you, Jesus. Thank you. And so we use the elements to both proclaim and once again uh, as tools to, to help us to help be demonstrative in our faith. Thank you, Jesus, for uniting these elements with the proclamation that forgiveness of sins is found in you and you alone. You do not need to be a member of this church. You do not need to be a member of any church to receive communion with us uh, this morning. You need only to respond to the invitation that Jesus is giving you now to express faith in His broken body and in His shed blood for the forgiveness of your sins. That it is in Jesus and Jesus alone that all sufficiency for forgiveness and eternal life is wrapped up. It is found in no one else for there is no, un- no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. We see in Acts chapter 4. But I come forward this morning in faith receiving what Jesus has to offer. And because it is not wrapped up in some type of intellectual understanding of what the elements actually mean and what actually happens when we take them in, we also say that you, uh, it doesn't matter if you were a Christian only until 30 seconds ago or if you've been one 40 years. It doesn't matter if you are 5 years old. It doesn't matter if you are 90 years old. If you come forward receiving by faith the gift of Jesus Christ for you this morning, His table is open to you.
I'm going to invite the worship team up and they can have communion for a second time if they'd like because the communion downstairs with the Conduit Kids volunteers um, this morning. And there's always this sense of... Um, There's always this sense, while well, you stand here awkwardly in front of me and I keep talking, um, there's, al- there's always this sense of like when people come up, like I-, I understand, right? There's a little bit of like, I call it church trepidation, church fear, right? Like coming up and like, man. Take... Tiniest piece of bread, right? Because it's like, it's more humble and holy to take a tiny piece than it is a big piece. Um, listen, there's enough of Jesus to go around. Okay? He does not run out. He is the source of eternal and never-ending life. Right? Don't come up and grab this thing like a football and run away with it, right? But, but what I'm saying is, like, come... Come with joy in receiving the fullness of what Jesus has to offer you this morning. May we be known for our love for you. May we be known for our love for others. Lord, may we be known for your love that's in us and that is expressed, Lord, as we demonstrate that love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Conduit, be blessed this week. You're prayed for. You are loved. See you next week.